Last time I was talking about the foundation of the Christian church. And I want to, I want to add more to that. I want to be a bit more specific about the roles of the ministry and stuff. But let me, in case this is new to you, I want to go just buzz through for a moment what we taught last time from Ephesians 4. I said, the Lord wants there to be a unity of spirit which will bring peace. And we need to recognize that that unity is going to do something in the kingdom of God. Notice there in Psalm 133, it says the first verse that he wants us to dwell together in unity. And it was like oil. The unity is like oil that poured on Aaron's head. It flowed down so much. His garment even stopped absorbing it and it dropped off the bottom. And the Lord said in that last verse, it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, which of course refreshed them. There the Lord commanded his blessing. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your blessing. And that blessing is life forevermore. But I want you to understand something. When churches are together in unity, when there's a love there and an adhesion there with each other, there's going to be a blessing poured out that you and I are going to have trouble containing. But you see, we have to look at something. We have to say, how did God say? How does the Holy Spirit say we come to that unity? So that's a good question. Jesus gave gifts to the church, which we're going to focus more on this time. But let me go on just to make sure that we have an understanding. Philip, Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, it was he, that's Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in faith. So there's that word again, the unity in faith that we mean. In 1 Corinthians 4, pardon me, in Ephesians 4, verse 15, he said, we need to speak the truth in love so that all things grow up unto him, into him, that is the head, Christ. And so we have a lot of information from this book of Ephesians, which is the book that's aimed at helping us understand the way church should be. And in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says the church is supposed to be built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets. And Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. So we need to have an understanding. The church needs to have the foundation. Now, you and I are the church, not the building out there with the cross on it. You and I are the church. We need to have a foundation under us. And it's apostles and prophets that build that foundation. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul actually does this. He says, in the church, God has appointed, and these are gifts that Jesus gave, but God appoints what Jesus has given, first of all, apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. So he's prioritizing them, prioritizing them in, in a, a sequence of importance, not value, not as if they're more smart or more privileged, but just in uh, the office of doing a work. He says, I'm putting the 
apostles first. I'm putting the prophets second. These are the people that will build the foundation of the church. What have we done in the church? We have made the church a place where the pastor is the number one. The pastor does most of the teaching. The pastor carries the whole way. Sometimes of administration, everything. Robbing him of time in the word, robbing him as visiting the people as a pastor should, the shepherd should, looking after the flock, knowing the condition of the flock. We've robbed him of that by putting on him the whole task of preaching almost every Sunday, with the exception of the odd missionary that might come through, or the exception of somebody important like um, an athlete who's saved or somebody important. But basically, we have settled the fact that he does, he's hard to do all the preaching, therefore, he does all the preaching, with a few exceptions. Where's the apostle? Where's the prophet? They're sitting at home, preparing their next message, which will never happen because they're not asked to go anywhere. They're the ones that the Bible, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says they lay the foundation. And you see, the foundation is not the fact that I inherited. I mentioned to you last time about my great uncle was a, was a doctor and a member of parliament. But that doesn't give me the foundation of the medical field and of parliament and government. I have to be taught those things myself. And so as a member of the church, I have to be taught, I have to be discipled the way of the Lord. I can't depend on somebody back there in previous generations passing on to me some kind of a blessing which has to do with foundation. There are blessings coming from riches, from our blessed, our righteous ancestors. But that's not one of them. We have to be disciples. That's why Jesus' last words were, disciple them. Baptize them, disciple them. He never said we're focused on getting them saved because there's so many people being healed in the church, people delivered. They're going to be coming to your church without an invitation. They want to know how, what I can do to be saved because I, want, I need help. I'm desperate. What do I have to do to be saved? That's what some of the revivals have proven, the revival in the Hebrides, the revival in Wales back in the 1904s. The Jonathan Edwards, what do we have to do to be We don't have to do We can simply say, I'm going to bap- teach you on baptism and baptize you and spend time discipling you. That's what God said we're supposed to be doing as a church. Don't ask me why the church is failing. I'm telling you why. The Bible's telling you why it's failing. The business world would never put up with this. I know I was in it for 10 years. The business world would never put up with it. Something's wrong. You have meetings. You sort out what's wrong, what we can do to correct it. And if you don't walk with us, get another job. That sounds harsh, but I've seen it happen. When Jesus said we're to have the great commission of baptizing disciples, he wasn't just saying something to fill time. He was saying it has to be done or the church will never grow. I said at the beginning, and I said in the last session, part one, I said, we have to do what Jesus said, 
or the church is suffering. It is suffering because we're not doing what Jesus said to do, where the Holy Spirit instructs us. We are still ignoring it. We ignore it. Even though the Word says it, we ignore it. Start praying for your church. I'm not saying you go with them to the church and point your finger at them and saying you're doing it wrong. I'm simply saying start praying for your church that God will raise up leadership in your church that would know to take the word of God and put it into practice. Let's look at some of these roles. First of all, there's the apostles. The word apostle simply means someone that's sent out. The 12 disciples that were sent out were called apostles. Today, people that are sent out, you could call them apostles, but the church doesn't. But the people that were sent out not only went out to start new churches like we send them out for, or sent out to the mission field like we send them out, they are also apostles that were sent out to go from churches that were already planted, different churches in different cities, and their purpose was to bring the, the unity of, of doctrine among all those churches, to bring them into an understanding of the same way, the same teaching, so that all the churches could walk in a unity of doctrine, a unity of peace, a unity of the Spirit. Paul talks about that to both uh, Timothy and to Titus in his letters to them. Jesus called the apostle and high priest whom we confess. The apostle will lead people to the Lord, but the apostle's main role, as we see in the New Testament, the main role was going from church to church, teaching, discipling, whatever needed to be done. And, the, and as they did that, they brought a unity among all the churches. Instead of a thousand different denominations, the churches walked together. Now, that didn't last forever. We know that according to the early church writing. But that was the intention. The word apostle, in its different form, plural and singular, appears 80 times in the New Testament, 83 to be exact. Hold it. We don't even believe they exist today, but it's used 83 times in the New International Version. Now, sometimes the actual word isn't used. But the term is used, sent to preach the gospel. And they took that from the original language, which was apostle. And so we need to say, hold it just a minute. I never hear that name, that descriptive name mentioned in my church. I never hear them talking about, let's pray and ask the Lord to send us an apostle to teach for a while. Never hear them say that. And yet 83 times the Bible says there's apostles among us. Never says once it's going to finish at a certain date and then we won't have them anymore. Never says that. After mentioning it 83 times, they think somewhere they would tell us when the due date is. When is the, when is the expiry date? When do they disappear? But it doesn't. So we have this dilemma where all those times an apostle was talked about. It's amazing, isn't it? 
In the New Testament, there's only one evangelist, and that's Philip. And yet our churches today are filled with evangelists. We don't hear anything about apostles, but in the early church it was filled with apostles. I hope that somewhere you're saying to yourself, yeah, there's something wrong. I need to start praying. I need to intercede for my church. I need to start asking the Lord to stir things up. Change the leaders or remove the leaders, but do something to, for the body of Christ to be brought into unity, for the Holy Spirit to start stirring in our church in the way he says he wants to. Then there's the prophet. Now the prophet is someone who speaks by divine inspiration. He hears the Lord in a situation and he speaks it out. He's someone who is an interpreter of the will of God. Now, the most common message was to call people back to God by repenting of their sins and warning them of the consequences if they did not. Now, all the way through the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, John the Baptist was a prophet. Jesus was a prophet. That was their message. John the Baptist's first word recorded was repent. Jesus, the first word recorded was repent when they were preaching. Now, I don't want you to confuse this, the role of a prophet with those who prophesy. It's different. Not necessarily because it isn't speaking divine inspiration, but it's different. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 31, he says, you may all prophesy. You can all prophesy. And that prophesying, you see, is in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, prophesying is when you encourage people and exhort people and bring them into a, a, a blessedness and encouragement for the people to be spoken to and blessed. And a lot of, a lot of, of um, the blessing teaching and the grace teaching, I don't agree with all, but some goes too far, but but it's often to bless the people and encourage them. But not all are prophets, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 29. He said, not all are, are all prophets, and the answer is no. Are all apostles, the answer is no. So those that prophesy aren't necessarily prophets. The reason why we don't hear people prophesying calling people back to repentance because they're shunned from the church. And taken out, we don't need that negative attitude. We don't need to put the people down. The people need to be encouraged. Nearly every pastor I've talked to, I would say, what's the focus of your ministry in the church? They would say, to encourage people. That's not wrong, but somewhere someone should come in and say, I discern there's something wrong here. There's a wrong spirit. There's a wrong teaching, or there's a Jezebel spirit at work. There's something wrong in the board. We need to hear a prophet come in and bring us back into place again. Why do I go to the doctor on a yearly basis? I want to hear him say, 
everything's okay, Howard. You've got another year ahead of you. But if he says, you've got a, a, a spot on your lung that we need to... I'm glad he told me that. I don't like the idea of having a spot in my lung that might be cancer. But I'm glad he told me that. I'm alive today because doctors were honest with me and told me some things that had to be corrected. We should be thankful if a prophet comes to our church, sir, please tell us the heart of God. What does God say about us, body? What do we need to hear? Is it leaders that need to be spoken? Is it the elders? Is it the Sunday school people, the church people? Who is it? Is it the youth? Who is it, Lord God? We need to know if there's something wrong. We should be welcoming him. But we're afraid. We don't want it to be exposed. But I want you to remember, brothers and sisters, Jesus promised us, and you won't find this in your promise book. Jesus promised us that the things we try to hide, they're going to be exposed. You can write that in your promise book if you want, but nobody else wants it. They'll be exposed, and he's proven that in the 80s. Two evangelists worldwide hid stuff. God said that's enough, and he exposed them. And he took the world system to do it, and he's going to do it again. If we don't expose it, the world will. God uses the world to accomplish that goal. You might say, I don't like this message. You will if you listen and respond the right way. There'll be a newness and a refreshing in you coming in line with the Word of God and saying, I tremble at your Word, Lord. I want to do your Word, and I'm going to pray hard for those people that are uh, my pastors, my leaders. I'm going to pray hard that they will be tremblers of the Word and doers of the Word. I'm going to, I'm going to get myself right, and I'm going to get prayer towards them that their hearts will be changed. And there's the evangelist, bless his heart, Philip, the only one that's named in the Bible. We stick a label on anybody that, that is vibrant and lots of life and jumps up and down and shouts a lot, put a label on him. Well, maybe he's an evangelist for all I know. But I know Philip was the only one in the Bible. That doesn't mean it's limited. What's his job? He's a herald. He, he announces stuff. He brings life to the Word. You know, if you think somebody that was teaching last Wednesday night was, was, was dry and boring, um, you see the evangelist can come and another, maybe Sunday morning and teach on the same thing and say a lot of the same things the teacher said, but he brings life to it. He brings conviction. He makes it practical. We, need, we now understand um, um, that, that we need to do something. And so the evangelist is important. I don't want to limit. I don't want to say anybody shouldn't be. I don't want to limit. But I have one thing I can say here from experience, from observing. An evangelist is generally very successful in starting a church. And if he has the wisdom 
to at a certain point that only the Holy Spirit can show him. If he has the wisdom to turn that church over to someone with the gift of pastoring, he will eventually destroy that church. I know that from experience. That's one of the problems of evangelists starting a church. They don't know when to give it over. They don't know when to let go. And you see, brothers and sisters, there's people out there wounded right now because they don't understand why that man that they had brought so much life and enjoyment, why they had to let him go. The pastor, sometimes called the overseer, the shepherd of the flock is another term that they used to use. The one who stays with his people. He's not a traveler by not saying he never can, but he basically is not. The other four gifts from Jesus are mobile, traveling from church to church. But the pastor, the shepherd, stays with his sheep. He doesn't spend his day going around to all the other herds of sheep in the countryside. He stays with his sheep. Now, no one in the New Testament has been labeled as a pastor. Some people say Timothy was. There's no place called Timothy is called a pastor because he traveled with Paul all the time. And whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, if it was Paul, okay, but if it was somebody else we don't know, they also traveled with Timothy, whoever it was. So he traveled. And he was sent to different areas to straighten things out, to appoint leaders, to appoint elders, and so on. Titus was told the same thing to do that. And so we know that this pastor needs to stay with his people, whether you call him a shepherd or overseer, it doesn't matter. He's the one that cares for the people. He knows his people as best he can. He gets to know their hurts and their, their concerns and their shortcomings and the things they're struggling with. He needs to know the condition of his flock, as it says back in the Old Testament. And you won't get that if you're traveling all over the place trying to become popular, trying to make a name for yourself. The actual term is used only once, and that's in Philippians 4, the pastor, the, the message, the scripture I read to you earlier. So please understand, I'm not putting them down. I'm not saying them wrong. I'm just saying we've got a wrong concept of their role and what they're supposed to be doing. And I don't know any university or any seminary, any Bible school, that teaches any different. I hope there is, but I don't know of one right now. The whole five-fold ministry is not even taught in some of them, many of them. Then the teacher. Now, all the previous ministries would do teaching. But you see, the teacher, he's generally dry, sometimes, not always. He can be um, always going back to the Greek or the Hebrew to prove certain words, because which can be rather boring. He's often ignored by people because they don't want to go. They don't want to go and, and just sit there all night. You have to really be hungry for the Lord to put go through it. I'm not saying they're all like that, but they can be. Some of the driest people have some of the greatest truths about the Word of God. You see, I said a minute ago to the evangelist to get that same teaching, 
and put life in them. That's why we need both of them. But he can break down the Word of God, the teacher, and he can make it easier to apply to your life the basic principles so that your, your walk with the Lord can be understood better so you can walk it out. That's the role of the teacher. And that's an important role. It's an important role because we need somebody. You know, in, in school, when I was learning math, I needed somebody to say, yes, here's all the theory, but look at, here's how it works, and they would work, write it out for me and explain things to me. That's what the teacher is supposed to do in the church. How do I understand a certain scripture teacher? He can sit down and say, this is what I understand. This is what it means. And this is what you do to put it into practice. Isn't that exciting? What we've missed from not having five whole ministries, either resident or flowing through our churches. What we have lost, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that get saved one time, got raised in Christian homes and are no longer serving the Lord because nobody discipled them, nobody taught them. But they're out there, I know. You talk to people about the Lord and they say, no, I was raised in a Christian home, I tried, that doesn't work. Or I accept the Lord at a Billy Graham crusade, but it doesn't work. Why? Because nobody took it upon themselves to disciple them. Now I happen to know the Billy Graham organization wants the churches to follow up and disciple these people, but again, most churches do not even have a discipleship program. How can they disciple if they don't have a program. I'm told that somebody that studies the early church writings, this is the second generation apostles, that when someone came to the Lord, the, the discipler took 40 days. In that 40 days, he was baptized. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He delivered from evil spirits. And he was taught in the ways of the Lord for 40 days. And after 40 days, he was prepared to go out and start doing preaching himself, whatever gift they saw in him. Now, I don't know how accurate that is. I was told that. But you understand, they focused. They focused on taking people that were saved and discipling them. That's why the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus was a totally pagan empire. Ramsey McMullen, a professor at Yale University, writes a book on this, Christianizing the Roman Empire. I don't even know if he's a Christian, but he found this stuff in his study of the Roman Empire. He found all this stuff about how these Christians were behaving, and he wrote a book about them. And from the year of Jesus up to the year 400, that pagan nation, that Roman pagan nation, was converted to a Christian nation. There were so many Christians, it was reclassified. What does that mean? It means it moved from paganism to Christianity. And Ramsey McMullen said, I recorded its history because that's never happened since. Christian nations have gone to paganism. Nobody. Why? Because we stopped discipling and stopped raising up people to teach the way of the Lord.
Jesus said this, they worship me in, their vain, in vain. Their teaching are but rules taught by men. Do you realize our understanding of running a church is the way men have taught us? I'm telling you what the Bible says, but men have taught us contrary. He says in verse 8, you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. That's a tremendous description of the church today. Any church, denominational, independent, mainline, evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic, that's a description of the church today. We've let go of the commandments of God and we are holding on to the traditions of man. And he, Jesus, he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. Conclusion, we have counseled ourselves with worldly wisdom, with the, with the common sense of man, and we've said things, oh, we can't afford an apostle, or we can't afford this or that, we can't afford to bring people. Why don't you find out that there is a God who has lots of money? If he told you to do something, he'll provide for it. All he needs is your faith. Father, forgive us. We have violated your commandments. We've gone with the, test, uh, the traditions of man. We stand guilty before you, Lord, as a church. Forgive us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.